again and welcome to the Les Represent podcast, the podcast about everything lesbian and lady-loving queer. Today we have a super special guest today. I'm so pleased to be talking to her and I'm going to let her introduce herself. My name is Diana James. I live in uh, England. Uh, I tend to travel around the country a lot because uh, I work mostly within the criminal justice system. Fortunately, I've been asked to speak about sort of um, the history as far as trans is concerned, within the LGBT History Month. So I'm sort of going to be talking because I'm afraid I'm sort of getting on a bit as they, as it is in this country, because if you're not 20, then you're old. So um, <laughs> I think that's Hollywood's fault. <laughs> I kind of think it is. Uh, but we kind of bought into it. That's our own fault. But uh, so I've been asked to sort of speak on how my life has intersected with different periods within sort of history, not just sort of trans history, but lesbian history, sort of because I sort of came out twice. And, well, we come out every day, I guess, but, but I came out sort of twice as once as trans. And then I came out later uh, when I sort of like finally came out as a lesbian. I can't even imagine that journey just because it was I couldn't imagine being a lesbian about 10 years ago hold on was it 10 years ago oh god I can't <laughs> even remember when I came out uh, let's say 15 let's just say 15 and that'll be easier for me I, I couldn't okay. even imagine doing that 15 years ago and then just people had to come out in so many different ways and in so many different atmospheres and sometimes they have to come out multiple times as multiple things and that's just wow it's a lot <laughs> Yeah, it's, I really, you know, I didn't, oddly, I didn't struggle with being a woman because that's always how I felt from very small going upwards. So I knew what it was just finding out how, because sadly, um, I went through everything pre-internet. So, that is another thing I can't even imagine. <laughs> like, I remember the days of not having internet. I swear to you, I remember them because the computer was only used for two things back then. Um, but wow, pre-internet, I don't understand how people knew each other. I wouldn't even have any gay friends if it wasn't for the internet. Well, the real issue was that it was like, you know, but how do you find the right words? How do you find the terminology? Where do you go to get that help? Talking to your own doctor is no good because they've got less idea than you have. So you've really got to try and find this out through libraries, reading things, and just constantly searching. So how did, I guess you probably get this question a lot, but how did you know? I can't remember when I didn't know. I mean, so that's kind of a pat answer in some respects because everybody kind of like says that unless they're coming out later in life. But I kind of always did. Um, a story in my family was that I would jump up and down and scream blue murder if someone wanted to cut my hair. Because I always wanted my hair to be long. And I always wanted to play with all the other girls, not play with the boys and all that kind of stuff. So it... it that's not to put down those people that come to a realization later. It's just how it was for me. Mm -hmm. we, we did talk um, a little bit about your transition and how we went through, but why don't you, if you're wanting to, you can walk it through for the rest of us. 
Well, I grew up in a really nice sort of family, um, sort of loving. They didn't quite understand the child that they'd had, but they kind of sort of looked at me as if I was some kind of strange animal and just got on with life. So, so I was pretty happy and... I remember early photographs of me that were, you know, you just this smiling girl looking at the camera. And um, then, unfortunately, I got um, sent to this awful school that um, my father's friend said, well, I'll get you. I'll get them into this great school. And that was like one of the worst things I think they could ever have done. Oh, goodness. Like, was it was it just a really, um, what, what is the words I'm looking for? A really conservative school or is it just... Yeah, that's, that's a good way of putting it. I mean, so they had no idea of sexuality or anything to do with gender. So when I turned up with my long red hair and sort of bouncy attitude, the first thing they did was cut my hair off. Oh, God. Yeah, because no, you had to conform. It was all about conformity. And of course, I didn't conform. And then having to sleep in a room with like like a semi sort of dormitory with these other boys. And I'd never undressed in front of anybody in my life. And it was very, very weird, very, very strange. And I couldn't, just the sight of male bodies seemed strange. That is interesting. Was it a Catholic school? No, it's what we call in this country a public school. It's like where your parents pay an awful lot of money to see you beat. Oh, oh goodness, a public school? That's what they call it in this country. In America, a public school is like where you don't pay and everybody gets educated. Right. In this country, a public school is where you do pay and you pay to be taught things you don't really need and to have an attitude that's really... I mean, that almost sounds like public school. I can't believe they paid, though. I mean, I guess I mean, perhaps that makes sense because the government here pays for public school and we we don't learn crap. So Yeah. I think in America, is it called a private school? I think it's a, the private school is the one that you have to pay for. Yeah. Well, that's your public and our, our public and your private are kind of the same thing. Because it's a bit like being sent to Smith, but I mean... Nowhere near as nice. So then you got out and you went into university. Yeah, so I got out of there and I got into university. And then I went to, um, I sort of got, kind of had an idea of where I wanted to go um, with my life and how I wanted to do it. So university is a good place to like study stuff. So I was always in the library trying to find out about myself and why it was that I just didn't feel right um so I did that and I tried to join the what was called the gay sock or the gay society the gay sock <laughs> yeah it's kind of that they call it in universities over here gay society they called it the sock not as that in sock what you put on your foot but as in a short version of society right so I but I just didn't fit I mean at that time as far as the gay men were concerned lesbians were all fish and yeah that's a horrible term that gay men had and some sadly still have for um lesbians or women it's not unfortunate i'm hoping times have changed a lot i 
unfortunately living where I am, I don't, the only time I really brush up against other gay people would happen to be online. <laughs> so. But yeah, no, exactly. And I didn't sort of fit in with the lesbians because I didn't feel that I was a lesbian at that time. I just didn't understand who I was and sex had no interest for me at all, which is part of what you disconnect with your body, I suppose, is, is that sex is, well, how can you have sex with what doesn't feel right? Right, right. I think, I, I feel like that's a, that's a really big trend with a lot of lesbians. Not to say that asexuality doesn't exist. I would, I would never say that. Mm. But it, it feels like we all kind of have journeys. We all have journeys where we go through different sexualities, we go through different labels, we go through different things to try to figure out who we are. And honestly, no one should be shamed for that journey. Like, there's nothing fake in trying to figure out who you are. There's nothing, you know, Absolutely. Wrong, wrong about trying to, to experiment with things. And it's just, you know, I feel like that's just a trend that happens with, you know, especially lesbians or anyone of a sexuality that's yeah, it's kind of it's kind of like the thing that, you know, it's all like semi like you're supposed to sleep with each other on the first date kind of thing. Who does that? Um, well, I did for a while. <laughs> Sorry. I didn't mean it like that. I promise you. I didn't mean it like that. It's it's an experience very different from my own. That is all I meant. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> um Sorry, going back to it. Um, so I was, so I found out about basically what I wanted to do, and I found this really great um, psychiatrist um, at a place called Charing Cross Hospital, which is like kind of well known for trans stuff in this country. So I was really lucky that I got that person that um, sort of basically knew exactly who I was, where I was coming from, and started stuff off pretty quick. It must have been wonderful to find somebody who understands. Well, who could fully explain it to me? Because I was still kind of nervous about it, about explaining. Because if you're told all your life that everything about you is wrong, then when someone says, no, that's fine, this is what it is, then you kind of think to yourself, oh, my God, I'm okay. I'm sort of... I know who I am. Not okay, but I know who I am and I know what I need to do. So that was my kind of getting there moment. And then I got um, sort of the home, well, sort of the civil service is what your, is our sort of like uh, administration of the country kind of thing, was recruiting at my university and I sort of joined them because... They were offering me a job and I didn't have to go out and look for it. <laughs> it sounds kind of drifting and things, but I just had one aim and the, the work that I did was just one part of getting to that one outcome. So I went to work for the civil service. Well, that's amazing. I'm glad you found a place to be, or at least was, was it a good place to be? Are you still there now? No, no, God, I left that years ago. Oh, um gosh. Oh, yeah, no, I, I got into the civil service and so I, I quite enjoyed it. But I knew that as soon as I was going to come out, that would kind of be the end of it because it was like kind of a conservative place. Oh, no. My, and my, yeah, there was a little bit of eccentricity was allowed, but only within certain boundaries. And I kind of figured that I was going to blast those boundaries out of the water. 
Right. Eccentricity, and then there's other things. And I kind of thought, my section head was like a really Christian religious guy. He didn't bring it to work, but you knew, Mm -hmm. you know, how you sometimes just know these things. So I thought, oh, God, as soon as I realized what I had to do, as far as the psychologist said, because you like have to live in gender for a year before they'll put you forward for any kind of um, surgery and stuff. That's interesting. Yeah, it's kind of just to make sure that you're going to be okay for that year. I kind of understand what it's about, but there's more different kind of thoughts about that now. But at that time, that was what you had to do. And I was being really accelerated through the system because my psychologist was a bit of a, what can I say, a bit of a maverick. He sort of like treated everybody as an individual rather than having a system that everybody had to go through. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, it didn't do him a lot of good in the end, but uh, but it was, I was lucky. I didn't know it at the time, but I was exceedingly lucky that I went through the whole system within two years, which now is completely and totally unheard of. But at that time was kind of really quick and I was really young. So it was good in many respects. How How quick is it now? Oh God, I don't know. It's like about five years, six years, maybe. Whoa, I expected it to be shorter. No, there's a long wait because we have the NHS. And right. it's all about what it's all about what you fund and the funding for gender stuff and stuff around non-binary. I think it's stayed pretty much the same as it's always been. Only there's a lot more people now looking for that. Not because it's fashionable or anything. It's just because people now are, going, are realizing, oh my God, that's me, because of the internet and other information, and and pushing forward to to get that help. Whereas when I went through it, you had to be lucky, determined, and kind of I don't know, kind of have some kind of push to get where you needed to be. It's really difficult to explain. And lucky, I think sometimes you have to be very lucky. Yeah, and I was all those things. Sure. <laughs> yeah, so it was kind of tough. But when I did, eventually, because I was taking the hormones and stuff, things were changing in my body really fast. Although I should say that when I was at school, you like had puberty, and like all the guys were like getting really hairy and their voices were dropping. I didn't. And I started growing sort of semi-budding breasts. And that caused an awful lot of trouble. I think as you can probably guess. Oh, goodness. Yes. I was good. I was accused of trying to deviate the boys. What? Yeah. That's no, it's the always... dumbest you... thing I've ever heard in my life. Well, you're not going to... They're not going to blame the majority, are they? They're always going to blame the one that they think that they can sort of like get out the way oh my gosh so anyway so i went through that but yeah got to enjoy it haven't you Hmm. yeah so i knew that i my hair was really growing out i was getting long again and there was a few comments but nothing nothing bad comments but just wow your hair's really nice and that kind of thing and Oh, that's nice. A couple of the guys in the section were sort of looking slightly sideways and thought, oh, maybe, you know, who knows? But then I, yeah, but then I had to like put like binding on 
Mm. So I had to bind my, try and bind my chest. And I just, in the end, I just couldn't bind it anymore. So I decided that I'd saved up some money and now was the time to come out. So I made an appointment to see my section head and I sat down and I said, this is what I intend to do. Expecting to be told to, you know, well, that's all very well, but this isn't the place for you to do that kind of thing. And uh, all he said was, um, oh, well, that's really courageous of you to tell me. And do you need any time off? And what can we do to help? Wow. So I then promptly burst into tears. And he seemed more discomforted by that than me coming out. I mean, God bless that guy. <laughs> yeah, because it was completely the opposite of what I expected. You know, this at that time with that guy, I thought, you know, that's it's going to be, you know, out the door, looking for another job or trying to live off what the savings I had until I could get everything sorted. But he just said, no, we'll help you in any way we can. Only time off you need. That's amazing. And we'll put it together. Yeah. So I went through my transition inside the civil service in a very protected atmosphere, which a lot of people then and now just don't don't get to have. That's amazing. Like, it's... I love hearing stories like that. Like, I, I absolutely love hearing stories where humanity was not so awful for once. Yeah. Well, I can give you the awful bit. I came out to my parents, and that was the last day I saw them. Oh, that's always <laughs> hard to hear. Yeah, but when people you thought love you loved and loved you send you to an awful place like the school I went to, you kind of love Paul's a bit. So I was great. So I transitioned within the civil service, which was really a great place to be. For me at that time, it was just perfect. Nobody, everybody just said, okay, right, that's fine. And nobody misgendered me. Nobody, as the modern term is, dead named me. It was as if I went home one day and came back the next week and it just carried on just with a different name. Wow. I know, it's extraordinary. Yeah, so lucky. Incredibly lucky. Mm-hmm. So it was really good. So I was working and having a nice life. And then I went through all the, because in those days there wasn't, as now you can sort of like get off whenever you want to. There's no like linear journey in transition. It's where you feel most comfortable with your body and what you want to do with it and how you feel your body should be. But then it was, you start here these are the steps you go through and you end here. It's our way or no way. Hmm. So it was like going through a whole, you had to go through the whole system. To the other end, so it went, oh, fortunately I didn't, luckily, probably with binding and stuff, I didn't need any sort of like breast enhancement. So that was good. So that's one operation I didn't need. Oh. And because I had like a sort of a percentage of like intersex issues, then... The other was a little easier than it could have been. That is interesting. I, I will be honest with you. I know jack shit about all of this. Well, then it's really good that I can get a chance to have a chat with you. Yes, and let you I, know. Love being, I love being educated. And there's, it's, I just, it's hard to ask questions sometimes because you're worried that you're going to 
offend that person. There, I see so often online where people get sick of people asking them questions, and I get it. I, I really do. Like, I get asked stupid-ass questions all the time when people actually know that I'm a lesbian, and usually the questions are the same ones all the time. Yeah. And oh, God, like, who's the man? Oh, boy. I love that question. <laughs> I love it so much. Yeah, no, that's that's a good one. And um, it's kind of like you just, like, look at the person you're with and go, uh, I don't know. I only see two women here. Can you figure it out? Basically. And it's just, I I don't know. Like, I, I'm glad you're willing to share the information, basically, I think is what I'm trying to get at from here. Yeah. I'm going to say, I... I do some some of the training work I do within the criminal justice system is around gender issues, and so we're re I, some stuff that we're doing at the moment rewriting stuff and that I can't talk about until it's actually done. Of but, course, I completely. So understand. we're doing we're updating a lot of things to do with non-binary, because that's becoming a bigger and bigger issue, hmm. and we need to deal with it. So we're doing stuff on that. So no, so the civil service was great. And as far as I was concerned, I was just, after going through all the operation and stuff like that. So it was great. I just went to work, went out with friends, dated a couple of guys, which didn't turn out awfully well because I wasn't interested in sex and they were, they weren't going to get anywhere. So they stopped asking. Well then, that just kind of happens, doesn't it? tried dating I tried sex a couple of times but I kind of it wasn't so much like I didn't really like it that much partly perhaps it's because of the guys I chose because I didn't have any experience of dating anyone so therefore it was kind of like almost who asked rather than that one looks nice <laughs> no I feel you when I when I came out of lesbian it was the same thing it was exactly the same thing like I didn't you know I didn't Perhaps I was too scared to pick a type of girl that I would like or Oh god any of and that. I don't yeah exactly so, it was, so a lot was it was a lot of oh well she asked me out and I was it was amazing. Yeah. I was like, Oh my god, somebody actually wants to go yeah. out with me and it just and that's when you learn that uh women have problems too. <laughs> yeah. Hopping from foot to foot, not not quite knowing <laughs> who's gonna speak first. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and just learning oh, what type of person worse, like. Yeah, and there's nothing worse than two women who want to go out with each other, sort of talking around the subject. Oh, my God. <laughs> I'm glad but, I'm married and I'm over those days. Yeah, like, how long have you got? <laughs> oh, gosh. But, yeah, so I sort of led a sort of straight-seeming life. I didn't have much contact with, well, I didn't have any contact with any other trans people because I didn't know of where there was any. And people weren't certainly going to come up uh, with a placard walking up and down the street saying, hi, I'm trans, introduce yourself. So um, I didn't know anybody. I just, so I just led a reasonable straight life. And, and then I met a guy who knew my history, sort of like through work and that. And... He was really nice and I liked him and everybody said sort of how handsome and stuff he was, but I just thought he was a nice guy. And so we ended up living with each other for about three years. So that was, the sex was kind of like, okay, I preferred the cuddles and the closeness, <laughs> but the sex was kind of, well, yeah, okay. More than, oh, well, yes. <laughs> 
So that was good. But he was a really nice guy, a really great guy. I'm not going to sort of like say anything bad about him because there was nothing bad to say. He was really a fantastic guy and we had a good three years. But on my side, there was definitely that not that spark, that thing that says to you like, yeah, you know, this is what I want. I feel like that. Yeah. Before I came out as a lesbian, I did date men as well. I didn't ever get super close to them. I often referred to myself as the worst girlfriend ever because I <laughs> didn't care to hold hands with them. I, I didn't care to call them back. Uh, they always had to text me first. I just <laughs> was completely emotionally unavailable. <laughs> and I didn't, I couldn't figure out why until I was like, oh wait, I, I prefer girls. <laughs> <laughs> That's a clue. Yeah, it was a it was a pretty big clue. I mean, yeah. <laughs> but I, just... I had yeah, I had no idea. I just it didn't like cross my radar at all. I just couldn't. It, I kind of vaguely knew that lesbians existed because it was in the newspapers at the time. They were seen as like they wore boiler suits and these big thick jackets and boots and they had short haircuts. Oh my gosh. This is what the British press at that time was showing lesbians to be. And they were aggressive towards men. Oh, poor darlings. Oh. <laughs> Anyone that rejects men has got to be something wrong with them. Oh my God. That's, yeah. That's kind of what was going on at the time. So, and they, the pictures that I saw and the women that I saw didn't look like me. So I therefore didn't think that that could be me. So it was kind of, so even had I thought that maybe that was something that I was, that could be me, it, it was so far out of my thought process that it never occurred to me at all. And then I went, in this country, there's like, or was something called Anne Summers parties. Did you ever have them in the States where a load of women would get together and have a load of booze and there would be like, someone would be there selling sex toys and oh, strange clothes. We, I don't know what we call them, but we still, we still have sex toy parties. That's, that's yeah. the one thing that happens. And it's, it's just, it's like a Tupperware party, basically. <laughs> like women yes. go there and you drink and then somebody shows you a whole bunch of toys. My sister actually invited <laughs> me to one of those but didn't tell me it was one of those. <laughs> so here I am, a freshly out lesbian, um, hanging out with the one of the only high school friends I still have that actually, you know, knows that I'm a lesbian. It's cool with it, doesn't care. And I'm like, hey, my sister's having this party. Let's go. Come to find out <laughs> after I got there that it was a sex party. And I'm just like, I swear to God, I didn't know about this. <laughs> I swear to God, this is not some weird gay kinky shit. I swear to God. And it was it was all fun because everyone else there was was straight. You know, everyone else there was straight. My sister was just trying to get a discount on some sex toys. And it was just, I ended up, I ended up buying some latex duct tape because, sure, that looks fun. And, <laughs> we're just... People, tell people you're inviting them to a freaking sex toy party, please. <laughs> Luckily, I'm oh, still friends so with her. Oh, <laughs> uh, It's too good a story not to remain friends. Uh, yes. Uh, thankfully, uh, we're still we're still friends. She even bought some chapstick that makes your 
mouth feel weird. I don't understand what it was for. Oh, I'm God, sure I could no. imagine it, but like, <laughs> anyway. Oh, so yeah, there was very strange. Are these sex toys? I'm going to say some of them, like, they were huge. Oh, God. I know, right? It's like, what do you do with that? Yeah, it's like one of them said, well, you know, Jack's six foot four. I said, yeah, but he's not that big. What the fuck? <laughs> well, he was really tall, and so people thought his body was all in proportion. But thank oh. God it wasn't. So God. Okay, so, so you went to a sex toy party. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. So, anyway, we all had too much to drink. Uh, as you do at these things. And uh, the woman there said, look, do you want to stay over? And I said, yeah, fine. She said, there's someone else staying over. Do you mind sharing a bed? And I'd done it after parties before. And they said, why not? Yeah, that's fine. And um, so we're lying in there in bed, just joking about stuff. And then she like stroked my arm, but not in like a friendly way, but in a very friendly way. Okay. And I just felt like these electric shocks were going off in my body. It was like this really fantastic feeling, but really strange. And anyway, so that was kind of my introduction to having sex with other women. Well then. I mean, my, my sex story party did not end that way, but... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it kind of... It's just... Everyone's journey is different. <laughs> yeah, it was really embarrassing at breakfast this next morning because um, really a shock in a way to suddenly think, oh, my God, I, you know, could I be a lesbian? Could I be bisexual? Because at that time I was like still with Jack, but it was kind of ending. I don't know whether I'm saying that as an excuse for that. <laughs> I think or, I think a lot of women go was, that. But it, it actually was coming to the end of the relationship. Jack was getting promoted and being um, posted abroad, and I was kind of thinking about where I wanted to continue going with my life. Right. So it was kind of coming to an end, and there was never anything more for me than sort of like affection. So, and I think he kind of got tired of realising that it was never going to be anything else. Oh. But he was a really great guy. So yeah. it just it just ended that we had a party when we split, invited all our friends. That so that was good. Nice. It, was a, it was a good breakup then. It was good. Yeah. No one burned had... anybody else's house down. It sounds like a good breakup. <laughs> yeah. No, that came later. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but so it was it was a nice breakup and stuff. And then I decided it was time for me to go back to university and do some further degrees. So I did that, which was like, so I left the civil service and did that. And that for me was was really good. And uh, it was good for me because then I was meeting people that were sort of more, how can I say, wider viewpoints on life. Than you saw in the civil service and other things, which was like very straight, very restrictive in some respects. It's completely different now, but at that time it was, you know, very much a, a straight road. Right. So I did that. I went to university and 
I joined um, other things and I kept trying to sort of like push back that those feelings that I had. But my trouble was is every time I closed my eyes, I could sort of see her. And I, even though I was embarrassed, I desperately wanted those feelings again. Right. I think that's a, I think so, that's a very human reaction. Yeah. So I couldn't run away from it. So I sort of, and I didn't know what to do about it. That, remember, still no internet. So right. there was just, so there was like, um, there was a feminist bookshop in a place in London called Islington. So I used to go there and I used to pick up like the free lesbian magazines and the free gay papers. So I'd pick up those and look at them. There and were we had gay like, magazines? there was lesbian magazines. Yeah. Even was back it, then they actually printed them. Was it Diva? Like, am I? Oh, Diva you had to pay for. And oh. you really had to, yeah, they sold out really quickly. It's not so bad anymore because you can get them all over the country. But back then you could only get them in certain places. And so, Every woman knew when they were coming out. And so, you know, you had to be quick or you wouldn't get a copy. Oh, goodness. So so everybody was picking David. But we had, like, um, Lesbian London and G3 were, like, two printed magazines. There were, like, loads of adverts in them to pay for them. But there was really good stuff in them as well, like where to go and what was happening and what was the latest right. discussion points. And they had, like, personals, right? Like... Yeah, but not really. We get there was kind of personals, but you were kind of like frightened to do anything about reading some of these things because it was still for me. It was still a lot of the lesbians I was seeing, and I I just wasn't feeling that connect because long hair, makeup. I wasn't like wearing skirts or dresses and heels and stuff, but like jeans and stuff. But still, long hair and makeup at those times was like femme. Um, Femme was suspicious. You know, you like suspicious. trying to, yeah, like you're trying to pass as straight. Are you bisexual? The word bisexual in those times was you dykes would spit on the floor and oh say bisexual God. and spit on the floor as if to say they're that bad. Thank God I don't live in that time. Holy crap. Yeah, I mean, no. I'm sorry. People no, it was bad. Whoa. It was bad. That's it was a, that's unfortunate. So, yeah, and because I'd had that relationship with a guy, I soon found out you didn't mention that. Oh, oh God. Yeah, no, you didn't talk about, oh, I. have you ever been in a relationship? Oh, yes, I was living with this guy. Bang, that was that. Oh, God. Yeah, no. So I learned very quickly not to talk about that. So it was kind of that kind of atmosphere, whereas I didn't feel that I fitted in anything, you know, and there was also the... At that time, there was also the issues around gender and sexuality were mixed. So, like, how could I have gone through all that stuff and then want to be with another woman? It's kind of all those questions, like, going on in your head. So it was like, and that that's let alone the stuff of coming out as being a lesbian. So it's just so much stuff going on that you just don't know how to process it. Right. And this was this was still pre-internet? Oh yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. So uh so that I, was going on. I applaud uh, anyone being able to live like fully functional gay lives before the internet. <laughs> but like, you just had to go out. If you stayed in you met nobody. You had to go no. out. You had to you had to risk it every time you went into a place and sat down that sounds like and a look nightmare. around you. 
yeah, not knowing anybody or trying to like, be friends or speak to someone. So you've got to go up to someone and speak to them or oh you've got gosh, to try and no. join groups. So, you know, it's that was kind of like a heart in your mouth time every time. So that was kind of tough. No. But I was but I was really fortunate that I I was in the the feminist bookshop and I got picked up. Man, I and, where are my feminist bookshops? Where are they? I live in like a semi got, like I live close to a semi big city. Why do I have not have feminist bookshops? Because we don't have them anymore. No, don't tell me that. Everybody buys stuff online. Nobody there's no the, the feminist bookshop it's sold it sold T-shirts, badges, it sold books, it had, like, notice board. Um, you could, um, like, walk through it, talk to people, have meetings there. It was kind of, you know, a fantastic place. Oh, man. But they all went. You know, they just, they just disappeared over time. But anyway, I was in this bookshop and I was talking to this woman and it was really – I thought this woman was really great. She, you know, she really knows her stuff – and I thought she's really attractive as well. And we were having a great time in that. And then finally she said to me, she says, look, we've been chatting for ages. Do you want to go out with me or not? Nice. Just <laughs> go. Go for it. I love it. Because I as we were talking about before, I I just I just God, I'm so glad I'm not dating anymore because I just don't know how to react. <laughs> I don't know. I like it sounds so simple. Just go up to him and be like, hey, do you wanna do you wanna go out sometime? No. Never <laughs> yeah. so well, no, there's the thing about, well, is she straight or is she not? Um, would she like me or wouldn't she like me? Is there a particular type she likes or not? Um, would I be invading her space? Am I going to be seen as, like, predatory? Or Oh, God. Yeah. There's all sorts of stuff goes on in your head. That's when you're actually thinking about talking to someone, let alone when you're going to do it. Yeah. So I there's think... all that. And they've got that shit going on in them as well, unless they're like really, you know. It's like, unless they're like really sure. Yeah, yeah exactly. So, you know, group. usually, yeah, if you're in like a lesbian club, the chances are reasonable that the woman's going to be a lesbian, but you still got the thing about her saying, oh no, my girlfriend's in the restroom or. Uh, I'm not going out with anyone at the moment. And then you've got to go like, yeah, that's fine. And then turn around and walk away. <laughs> <laughs> and then there's that feeling of constriction within your chest as you're walking away going, oh God, oh God. <laughs> yes, yes. It's, very, it's a very real feeling. I'm, I'm so glad I'm married. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to deal with that anymore. No, but it's, yeah. So there's all that kind of stuff going on. So anyway, I, I went out with this woman for, not that long. We went out. We had a good time. And I was pretty sure that after I'd finished going out with her that, yes, lesbian sex was for me. <laughs> well, that's <laughs> good to hear. Yeah. But so after that, I just, you know, would go to the clubs and stuff. And sometimes I'd um, hook up and sometimes I wouldn't. It just depended on who was there, who I liked and who liked me and going on from there. So that that was pretty good. And around the, the gender issues at that time, transition was not something that was discussed. Nobody really knew anything about it. Oh Remember, gosh. we're still talking pre-internet, pre, um, so there was not all this stuff going on. There was the odd salacious 
stuff in a newspaper, but that was like kind of people over there, nothing to do with us over here kind of thing. Right. So there was nothing going on. So nobody really knew about transition. Although I always said what my history was before we actually had sex, before we actually went to bed or wherever we were having sex. But amazingly, during all that time, it's only two women said that that was something that was an issue for them. Mostly it was just like, a, yeah, woman, vagina, lesbian, reasonable to look at, nice to talk to. Yeah, what what the hell? Well, there you go. I mean, yeah. there you go. I wish it was that simple. Like, I just, I don't understand some people. Yeah, it doesn't seem to be quite so simple. But at that time, remember, it was still, you were on that road from one thing to another. There was no getting off in the middle. There was no saying, no, I'm comfortable with my body now. It was, you started one place, you finished the next. It wasn't, you didn't have the option of saying, I want to stop now. Hmm. Or if you did, then you were out of the system. Like, you you know, no tablets, no hormones, no nothing. You're oh, just gosh. off. So you had to start one and to go to the other. So, you know, that's the way it was. So it was, for all intents and purposes, you know, physically pretty much the same so anyway so that was good I was I became for a time after that what it was called a serial monogamist a serial monogamist <laughs> <laughs> that's entertaining yeah or as one friend called me a strumpet a strumpet like isn't yeah that, isn't that a pastry like am I wrong no, it, no that's a crumpet no a strumpet um is like a a tart or someone that will have sex all the time with anybody. That was what a strumpet was called. Oh, my God. It's, a, it's an old English term for a, a loose woman. Oh, my gosh. I've heard that phrase, like, in movies before, and I didn't understand. I just thought they were just calling them, like, I don't know, a cupcake or something. It didn't really <laughs> occur to me. That, that actually had another connotation of, oh, yeah, she's, she's a slut. Okay. Yep. Okay, so that, but I was quite happy with that. I didn't see a problem. I was, you know, exploring my sexuality and having a good time. And as far as I was concerned, that was okay. Most of the other women at that time, it was that's the way we were. It wasn't, you know, suitcase second date, moving van the third. Oh my god! There was a lot of there was a lot of women. Just you know, you would hook up with someone, you'd have a good time, good night, good weekend. Maybe it would last a few weeks. Maybe it would last longer. Or if there was something special happened, then maybe you'd have a monogamous relationship. Or maybe you'd I have wonder, an open one. I wonder when that changed, because I didn't know that. Well, at that time, it well, it's either that or it was the crowd I was hanging out with. Maybe. But it was in the, the centre of London. That's kind of how we were living. Whereas I think in the out in the sort of the countryside out um as they say in the sticks that yeah then it might be a little bit different because there was fewer women for you to to hook up with and everybody knew each other so it was kind of more if you found somebody then you were lucky to find somebody and therefore you tended to stick together or you would then start a relationship that you if you had a wider pool of people to choose from, you might not have um, hooked up with. That's interesting. I was, when did when did U-Haul become the lesbian joke then? Because I just, I'm, I'm not smart. I just assumed it was like all the time. Like that's just how it was. 
I I guess not. I guess it's been a joke for a long time, but I think it was more to do with, as I say, sort of outside major conurbations. So it was always like in the countryside where there was. I think but that was my experience in the centre of London at that time. It was all about big, having a good time. A, yeah, you were in a big ass city. I feel like good times happen more in big ass cities. <laughs> and there was loads of clubs. There was loads of pubs. It was like free and easy. It was a great time. There was places to go, people to meet. We had the London Lesbian and Gay Centre where I was a volunteer because we were desperately trying to keep it open. So I was okay. a volunteer there. So I'd like take money on the door or I would um, clear up glasses downstairs in like the where they had the lesbian club. So that was good. I'm going to say, you know, the, trying to avoid the occasional fight. Mm. But uh, definitely no handbags at that time. No handbags? No. It's, it's kind of, you know, they weren't going to hit each other with handbags. It was like fists and oh, okay. stuff. You know, it was it was proper fighting. Like, no, we'll knock you, we'll knock you out. <laughs> Yeah, knock you out kind of fighting. But uh, no, and occasionally I'd um, be going home with someone from there or whatever. Or they would be going home with me, depending. It was a really great time. And I had a great time. When was this? Oh, God, now you're talking. Um, (laughs) It was early 90s, late 80s. Oh, that's good. That's good. I was very afraid you were going to tell me it was like pre-AIDS era and I was like dude (laughs) well it was right in the middle for us of the AIDS era was late 80s for us was really sort of like hitting hard yeah because I was like the first um lesbian woman who was also trans to be a volunteer for London Lesbian and Gay Switchboard who was like the major charity for the LG well LG at that time in the country Hmm. and so that was like if you was in the community they were like the people to like be a volunteer for because it was the competition was like really fierce out of 100 people they'd maybe pick 10 to be volunteers they had yeah people were fighting to become a volunteer of switchboard I mean that's so good though that's at that time that was at that time you know volunteering is different but so it was really good and I like did my interview and, and all that sort of thing and then towards the end of the interview I said um, I have to tell you something that I am actually um, also sort of like transgender I didn't go like into the intersex stuff because I didn't understand it and neither did anyone else so it was kind of like pointless to mention so I went into the trans stuff and I said oh I'm also transgender and she just like paused for a second and then carried on with the interview and it was like a couple of weeks later, I was asked to have a meeting with somebody from Switchboard, which was one of the directors. And it was a woman called Lisa Power. Fantastic woman. Uh, so I had an interview with her and she says, look, you're the kind of woman we want and you're perfect for the organisation. You do realise there's going to be a lot of aggravation if you do join, that you might face some discrimination. Are you willing to do this? Because we're willing to push it through if you are. I don't know. I was feeling particularly brave at the time or just it was the times. But I just said, yeah, no, I, why can't I be a member, a volunteer? And so that they pushed that through. And I was the first 
lesbian woman who had a trans history to be uh, a volunteer at Switchboard. Interesting how they're like having meetings for volunteers. Like I would assume they would want as many volunteers as possible. Maybe I'm not understanding the system correctly. No, it was the, the, the training to be also a volunteer was tough. You had to go to, because remember people were phoning all over from all over the country about HIV, about AIDS, about sexual health, not just like where to go on a Saturday night. Also, if they were like in the closet and they needed someone to talk to, you get suicide calls, you get people thinking about suicide, self-harm. All this stuff was coming through. You had to know your shit. Yeah. So the training was stiff. And some people just didn't get through the training as well because that was like six weeks of training. I mean, not like six weeks of every day, but like six weekends in a row, you had to do the training and you had to get through every bit of it to be able to, you had people's lives in your hands and right. people of the community, you had to know what to say and how to help people. So it was very strict on that. And it was a 24 hour service at that time as well. Oh God. How long were you like sitting there doing that? I was a volunteer for about four years, I think. So what was the, what was like the longest day of doing that, I guess? I night, guess the night shifts um, oh do about God. eight hours. You'd like go on at maybe about midnight, perhaps 11 o'clock, and you'd be out at seven in the morning. Like the not and longest night of your life. Some of the calls were really, at night time, were really bad. You had like people that were, had AIDS they were wondering whether they'd take their own life or not sometimes you talk to someone who had or you know was in the process other times it was partners of people that had just died um, talking about the effects that it had on them why they weren't allowed to go to the funeral oh god uh, you had all that stuff going on so sometimes you know you you come out of a night shift and you feel like someone to put you through the ringer so it was, although you fought to get on it, I mean, say it was tough, but it was worth it, especially in those times. I believe you. And then you had the fun things of someone ringing up, you know, coming out to you as the first person that they'd ever, someone that ever come out to. <laughs> but that would, you'd have like beautiful calls where someone would be phoning up and you'd give them the option, do you want to speak to a man or a woman, you know, so they could, if there was someone free to do that other times it would be I'm really sorry but there isn't someone available do you want to phone back or are you happy to talk to me so the amount of times I talked to God, the amount of things I learned about gay male sex I mean so you know oh, oh, things that I really didn't want to know <laughs> like, um, <laughs> I don't have yeah. training on that sir I'm sorry no. <laughs> but we did because you had to know you couldn't say to some guy oh god no that sounds awful I'm not willing to talk about that <laughs> you sorry, had no. to discuss and some guys would feel embarrassed about talking to another guy about stuff and they'd want to talk to a woman about it they felt more comfortable okay I can see that so yeah so you had to do that but oh the some of the like someone coming out you know and yeah so it was like some of them were like really beautiful some of them were a bit tough but a lot of them were just fabulous of someone coming to that realisation and knowing that there was things out there, places for them to go, that you know, that they weren't alone. It was really rewarding. 
and still is. There's still people phoning up switchboard, coming out, talking about stuff. But now it's lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender switchboard, not just lesbian and gay. That's good. It is. It's a big move forward because remember back in those times as well, bisexual was dirty words. Oh, God. Yeah. Transgender, nobody understood. So that wasn't even the letter on the alphabet because nobody knew anything about it. It was just like, well, isn't it something that people in other countries do? So People in other countries do? What? Yeah. Well, that's kind of like what people think, you know. Uh, was it in a... People think, oh, well, that doesn't happen here. Oh, my God. Oh, a bit my like God. Sex. Yeah, it's, sex is something that other people do. It's not something we do. Oh, is that a British thing or is that just, you know, I can't uh, Yeah, it is kind of a British thing, oh yes. Oh, my God. I mean, I'm, it's a, I have to admit, it's a very huge stereotype over here to make fun of British people from being, like, just for you guys being, like, the least passionate country in the world. And I'm like, that is not true. But it's... it's no, it just, isn't. It's like a, it's like a, what do they call that? Just like it's a stereotype. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of us are sort of a bit reserved in some respects. I think that's where perhaps some of that comes through is that we don't tend to impinge on someone else's life or space, that we tend to hold back a little bit, and maybe that's kind of where that comes from. I feel it. Yeah. Part of that may be because it's a small country and you're bumping into people all the time, and therefore you don't want to, you want to leave people that space for them to be who they are. That's interesting. I haven't heard that it's, before. It's an idea. It, it's not something i think that anybody's ever done anything about it's just a kind of thought about why we're like the way we are oh and the weather oh yeah <laughs> you, guys, you guys like have like what two weeks of sunshine <laughs> it just seems that way yeah it does seem that way sometimes Absolutely. but so, so, so as british that's kind of the way we kind of have been so we're a little bit reserved and people think that's like standoffish or cold but it's not it's just you guys are just very independent. And you just need to take more time to get to know us, really. Absolutely. We need chatting up. <laughs> you need chatting up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so have you always been a Londoner? Have you, like, were you, like, always in that area? No, I've moved around a lot. I've gone to different places, but I travel a lot. And I've spent some time in Europe. Uh, and around and about doing different things but mostly yeah mostly I've been sort of like um, London London based because yeah. why would you want to go anywhere else <laughs> so where was I that was at switchboard which was good which yeah was so that was, it was fantastic organization still going and oddly on March the 8th I'm going to be part of a panel discussing the history of switchboard which really? is going to be where it was based once upon a time, which was above Brown's Bookshop. No, not Brown's. Is it, anyway, above the bookshop in Charing Cross. God, I can't remember the name. Isn't that strange? About the sort of times that it was. No, it's kind of gone. It's my random access memory has um, disappeared. Oh, no. It's probably packed. I mean, that, that's not exactly part of the speech, right? To know exactly where it was. <laughs> I, I will look it. I will look it. I know. I know it. If someone said it, I say, "Oh yeah, that's it." But I just can't bring it to mind at this moment. 
That's all right. I can hardly bring words to mind anytime I have to speak them. So. Yes. No. Oh God. Yeah. No. It, it's really strange. I'm I I'm giving this LGBT history talk um, at a place called Positive East, which is like a HIV charity. And that, do you know, I'm more nervous of doing that in front of people that are, you know, if your peers and they've got some great speakers before me than I am like a, a room full of senior police officers. I, you know, it's just like, that's nothing. Oh my gosh. But No, no, it isn't. They're, they're there because they've got to be there and they're there to listen to what you've got to say. Right. So, you know, you and that's my area of expertise. So that's for, therefore, what I'm doing. And I'm confident in that, that I'm doing. But speaking in front of all these you know, all these people that are there just to listen to me rattle on about different things is that's very daunting you know it's different when it's your peers oh yes oh yes because i could tell you probably the rough estimate of how many people will listen to this and <laughs> i don't want to put anybody off no I, I that's it because it's really popular but Oh, it's really strange when you're talking to people, you know, there, there was a, when you get to look them in the I, face. I bet, yeah, I, there's two friends of mine that uh, there's a that live not that far from me and they sort of became friends over the years. And like he said to me, well, you know what to do if, if you're feeling nervous is imagine them all in the nude. Why and I said, there's going to be, I, I said, there's going to be a load of dykes there. I said, and if I fancy one, that's not going to help. Oh, my God. <laughs> Yeah, I just, I don't imagine why anyone's like, imagine, imagine them, you know, in their underwear. Imagine them naked. This does not help yeah. anyone. <laughs> That's like an old sort of like trope of how to try and relax yourself, you know, sort of imagine that they're not important. They are just, they're more vulnerable than you. Therefore, your gives you confidence. I mean, if that's but what they're I, doing, I mean, I don't know about anyone else but I get like secondhand embarrassment like when I'm watching a movie and I know something <laughs> embarrassing is about to happen I have to like cover my face and like stop the movie because you just know it's happening you're like oh my god I feel so yeah. bad for them and I'm like this the whole imagine people naked thing would never work for me ever it just is doesn't work for me <laughs> oh I know that one sort of like pause it go make a cup of tea and then come back and then sort of unpause it just like forget what's about to happen and watch it happen and be like oh god <laughs> that's why again. i stopped yeah Gosh. oh so that was a great time at switchboard and i was writing reviews for something in this country which was called the feminist library which is like a, a library of all women's books and feminist books and um when i was at um uni i wrote reviews for them yeah book reviews and stuff which was really good because i got you know, I got to read all these books. I then had to, of course, hand them into the library so people could borrow them and that. But I wrote the reviews and that. That's how we got the books. Because publishers would give you the books if you would review them. And then really? we would review the books and then they would go on the shelves and then women could borrow them. And they would be books that you might not otherwise be able to borrow from an ordinary library. You know, sort of like, you know, lesbian sex, for instance, is a book that you might not want to go and speak to your local librarian about. <laughs> depending on the librarian, of course, but, um, Goodness. yeah. So there's like, all sorts of different books, women's books, women's press books and stuff. So I'd been doing that for a while. And then, um, I, uh, I reviewed a book by a trans woman called, um, Cossie 
she was in like a Bond movie and been a model and stuff. And then she got outed by one of the tabloid newspapers. Oh, my God. Which was pretty, which was pretty evil. That kind of finished her career. Oh so, yeah, so that was pretty evil. So I reviewed her book and I put the review in, as I normally did. Uh, and then I received a phone call and they said, said, why do you want to review this woman's book? She is not, you know, she is not a woman. They said, she is not a woman. So I always thought that was kind of funny. Because uh, if she's not a woman, why are you calling her she? So, and I'd said, well, you know, this is a really interesting book and it's got some really interesting stuff around misogyny and some of the issues that she faced in the work that she did. And I said, it's a really interesting book. And they said, well, we don't review that sort of book here. And I said, you do know that I've also, my history is that I was trans. And they said, yes, but we didn't want you to mention it. What the, who is this that called you? <laughs> this is the feminist library. This is going back a number of years. This is not what would happen now, but this is what happened then. Okay. But so still. They said, oh, yeah. So the, anyway, that was that phone call. And then they phoned back later and said, we've had a meeting. And um, we don't want you to come back because some of the women are frightened of your testosterone-filled violence. What the actual <laughs> fuck? That, that's actually the words. Yeah, no, that, that's the actual words they used. We are frightened of your testosterone-filled violence. Have these people ever met you? No, well, yeah, because I've been doing reviews of their books. I've been coming in and delivering the books and the reviews and, like, working there doing like photocopying and administration and tidying up and stuff like any volunteer does oh my god but the, anyway so that was their political viewpoint of the time but it was that was kind of rare back then that's good so to obviously... hear that that was rare back then but also sad because you're saying back then as if it happens more now it does happen more now oh my god no this is backwards no. Yeah, not to me, because in the work I do, I'm completely out. You know, because that's one of the things that I talk about, because uh, in the criminal justice system, you're going to come into touch with everybody. You know, you're going to either someone's going to be a witness, someone's going to be a victim, someone's actually going to be a perpetrator. And they could be from any one of the protected communities that we have in this country. Mm. So... So therefore, you know, you're going to need to know how to talk to someone and how to react to someone to get the best possible outcome from your discussion. Especially right. if it's a witness who's thinking that you're going to be very anti who they are, is unlikely to tell you all the information you need. So it's how to speak to people, how to respect who they are. So it's stuff around that kind of thing. But so that happened and I wondered whether I should say anything and I just thought oh, no I can't be bothered so I just put it behind me and just went on with my life oh god that that god that oh that, well, that I, upsets me I'm sorry that upsets me um, well I could, I could have mentioned to them that hey you know I don't have any testosterone and as far as I actually know from some of the things that were said to me I'm not sure whether I actually produced very much, if any. But, hey, what was the point? They made their mind up. So 
I just moved on. That's just, that's just dumb. I'm, I'm just, I'm not even going to apologize for saying it. That's just, that's just dumb. I, I am so mad by that. That's just <laughs> dumb. Okay. I, Intelligent uh, words here. I just, what really, what really, really gets me, I mean, other than I'm so sorry that anyone's ever treated you like that, but just that we, for some reason, have it, like, speaking from a newer generation, for some reason, we have it painted in our head that the past has always been somehow worse than it is now. For somehow, somehow we have, like, this linear timeline in our head where it's, like, everything in the past, you know, it's, that was part of the time, they were bad, yada, yada. We don't think about the fluctuate of society. We don't think about the fluctuate of, like, influence in society that would make that one point in time even in the past it might have been better than it is now because there was a fluctuation of like misinformation there was a fluctuation of violence there was a, there was some kind of change in the political atmosphere that actually made it worse at one point and for whatever reason we just always think that we're doing better now and i just god we're short-sighted people but well, god. something some things are better now Oh, yeah. um, we've got are, equal yeah. marriage, age of consent. Um, it's just that certain issues are still not moved as far forward as they ha could have had, could have done. Sorry. Uh, and also some things have moved backwards. Oh it's, it's just the way some things go. It's like the, the big improvements now. I'm going to say the horror of all the waiting lists and how long it takes for someone to get even seen. Uh, in uh, a gender clinic now is apparently coming up towards three years to get an appointment. Oh my God. Uh, so, so many people now are going private, which means you have to pay your doctor rather than get it on the National Health Service where no, you pay it through your taxes. Anywhere. Yeah, we kind of pay for ours through our taxes. Uh, and then we get that then free, but it's not free if you're not getting it. So therefore, some people are then paying on top to actually get private, to be seen privately, which means they've got to try and save up money to do that, which really annoys me because it's kind of like you're paying twice for the same service. Hmm. So I, that, to put it politely, it kind of pisses me off a little. <laughs> yes, I can, I can see why that would piss you off. Yeah, but it's because I was so lucky to be at the time that I was, that I went through it at, at almost the perfect time when there were so few people wanting transition uh, and the money was there to do it because there was so few. And I was really lucky with my psychologist who took one look at me and said, yeah, well, that seems fairly obvious and went on from there. So I was really lucky, and today is not. But what is lucky in, is these is the people are talking about it. Non-binary is seen as a valid choice for people, that they don't have to pick a binary gender. They can be who they feel, who they want to be. And the same for transgender people, uh, male or female, can decide at what time they want to stop their transition when they feel it is right for them. So there is huge improvements in that, in that understanding of people's uh, gender. So there's good stuff happened, along with some of the negative. Also, in the 
trans community, this is something I've heard about, fortunately, something I didn't have to live through, was that there was like people graded each other. Oh my God. As in who passed the most. And the queen was seen as the passing, as always woman, seen as the passing woman who maybe had a level or so of uh, intersex. They were like seen as the queen bee. Oh and they could God. like queen, and they could like queen it over the others, and it went down in grades of who could pass and not. How awful is that? That sounds, you know, absolutely ridiculous. I mean, I've heard that. I've heard the whole passing thing. I've heard of that, but yeah. just it's completely uh, toxic and degrading to yeah. everybody, no matter which level you are on it. It's toxic and degrading. But I just thank God I never went through any of that kind of crap. That's just that sounds really ridiculous to me because it is. Like, what, what is the point of if finally becoming who you want to be and to go that far outside of and just to work so hard just for have somebody to grade you? Like what? Yeah. What do I think it is? Ten. Ten. You know the Dud Dudley Moore film where he graded all women on one to ten. Oh, it was a film called Ten. Yeah. Well, there's still men around that do that kind of crap. So, <laughs> and they, and they grade other men like it, not just women. You know, gay men grade other men. Oh my god. It's so like, I've heard. It's like move on. Like yeah. Move on. Yeah. Gosh, so as I say, so things have moved on. That that, I don't think that happens. I've not heard of that happening now. I'm sure that that might happen in some places, maybe. I mean, but... I still, I still see, I still see women, um, lesbians talk about like the gold star crap, and I'm just like, oh. get over it. Uh, to put it politely, oh for fuck's sake, you yeah. know, yeah, grow just, up, like get over it, like yeah, like there was that uh, that all comes from the bloody L word. Does it? Is that yeah? Where that, is that where yeah, that stemmed from? I'm, Please it tell comes me. From the, yeah, it comes out of the L word, apparently. I thought, that was, I thought that was older. I thought that was a lot no. older. And I was like, that's a bunch of bullcrap. That's like some elitist bullshit that, that isn't necessary. Because it doesn't matter if you've never been with a man. You could still be a shitty fucking person. Yeah. No, th there was a, a thing going back into the 80s of lesbian never having been with a with a guy. There was that around. But it was not called Gold Star. I think it was just... You're a real lesbian if you've never slept with a man and you're like a, a, a semi-lesbian or a political lesbian. Oh, my fucking God. Or anything like that because you had previously had a relationship with a guy. I and just... if you had, you didn't mention it because if you did, you would be placed in a box that didn't necessarily fit you. And so many women come out at so many different times in their lives. I know. And it's just it's just dumb. It's dumb you know, to have that because, you know, the way that society has been structured for so long, women didn't have a choice in a lot of places. Like, no. And it's just, it's just disrespectful for any woman who's ever had desires for another woman, like in the past, when there was literally no choice. Yeah. Uh, there's so many women that have come out in their 50s or their 60s or come out earlier i mean say so i was late 20s when i came out and it just happens at different times that it either never occurred to you or you never thought about it or you never had the option or opportunity yeah and like and i've 
I've literally talked to women who are like well into their 40s, 50s, who they came out after their husbands died. And that's mainly because they never thought about it before. Like, they just didn't think it was an option. They never thought about it. Like, they loved their husband dearly. You know, they didn't like the sex, but they loved them dearly. And then after they died, he was like, after she died, she was like, fine, I'll... I'll try out I'll try out this woman thing, you know. She'd been in a relationship for twenty years. Her husband's dead. She's gonna try out women. And then she was like, and that was the moment I knew. Yeah. No more for me. Or, and it's just you know, the kids have grown up and they decide that that's not for them anymore, so they get the divorce. Yeah. And suddenly they meet someone somewhere and it kicks off. Yeah. Like There's all just... sorts of different ways of, of coming to terms with your sexuality. It's like this thing about gender. You know, you're supposed to have known when you were young. Yes, some did, but not all. Because some, it it was so ingrained within them what they were, what they had to be, that there was no way for them to step out of that. For a lot of um, trans men, you know, that early socialisation, you know, really sticks. And it can be really difficult to step away from that. And have the confidence to stand up and say, you know, no, this is who I am. This is not what you're pressuring me into being. Exactly. Like, it's just people, people have such flawed logic about how the world is supposed to be. And I'm not saying that being queer, we somehow have better logic. Because we've already clearly stated that bitches be crazy. I don't think I actually put that into words. But people are freaking crazy. But, like... It's it's just dumb to think that everything is black and white. It's just it's yeah. dumb to think that, you know, everything is supposed to go in this linear line where things are supposed to like you have this happens, this happens, and this happens and you're going to become this. That makes no freaking sense to anything. I'm pretty sure even a scientist would be like, "Well, I don't that doesn't say that something's going to happen." And it's just where do we get that idea? Yeah. Ugh. It's as you say, it's like sexuality is supposed to be one thing and you, you have to be 100% lesbian or 100% gay. Um, bisexual is supposed to be like 50-50. Well, the, it doesn't work Who that way. This stuff? I would say, you know, it's bullshit. It Who really is. Stuff? I don't even understand. No, it's because there's, there's, there's just shades in between all of it. Uh, you know, it's uh, my lover at the moment, is what's known as mock. Masculine of centre. Oh, you're going to have to explain that yeah. a little bit to me. Yeah, mock is like masculine of centre. So butch, if oh. you want to put it in a... Yeah. So that's generally speaking the kind of woman I'm attracted to. Not that I haven't had sex with women. You don't have to explain. Different presentations. You don't have to explain what you're attracted to. You're attracted to what you're attracted to. It doesn't... Yeah, at that time, but... but no, but generally speaking, that's kind of where I've gone. But I've uh, got this thing about toilets, going into the toilets at the moment. You know, they're trying to, like, stop trans women from using the the restrooms. Oh, my freaking God. So they've got that going on. Do you know, I've been going in and out of restrooms in public for, well, a long time. Never once even been glanced at sideways. My love has been stopped four times recently and asked if they were in the right place. And that that, that cis woman 
being uh, just because they got short hair, leather jacket, jeans, buttoned down, and they're just being, you know, sort of like, are you sure you're in the right place? To which her response is always, yeah, are you? Like, get a life. That's what I have to say about that. It's just, get a life, all right? Well, that, I just, yeah, that, those people frustrate me. They frustrate me, frustrate me just as much as the people who stand on the corner waving Jesus loves you signs. Like, not particularly just Jesus loves you. Like, those, those are kind of yeah. okay. Those are kind of okay. I'm okay with that. The ones I don't like are the ones that are like... You're going to hell. Yeah. Yeah, like, you're going to hell. Jesus is the only way. You, have you repented? You're like, yada, yada, all this other... Like, you, those people yeah. have no freaking lives. I mean, I get it. I was I was raised Baptist. I came from a very conservative background in some places. I understand what they're thinking. I know what the preachers tell them in church. I know what mm. their thoughts are on that. My issue is, why can't they put their time somewhere where it's productive? Why mm. why can't they why can't they go into shelters where people need volunteers, where people need their help? Why can't they yeah. talk to kids who are lost and abused? Like why can't they just make it productive instead of making it to where they just stand like literally all of their wasting is time. They're not making any like cause they're okay. In Texas, we have billboards everywhere. Literally everywhere mm -hmm. talking about um jesus is the way you know you're you can go to one stop of hell you know like literally there's religious symbols fucking everywhere and on occasion you'll see like if you're in the right town you'll see like anti-religious symbols because sometimes they have enough money to buy a billboard which those are always mm. funny i love watching them fight against each other because it's just anyway not the point of the story <laughs> um but it's just like it's a waste of time it's like it's mm. Those people piss me off as much as the people who go to the abortion clinics because it's like you're doing nothing but wasting time and making other people feel bad for themselves when you can be doing something productive and you can be giving something and you could be like raising money for someone. You can be like taking your time and going to the shelters. You could be doing something worthwhile, but instead you're going to hide behind a sign and pretend you're doing something worthwhile because you don't want to be confrontational even though you standing on the side of the road with a sign saying you're going to hell is confrontational like you're convincing yeah. no one of what you're doing you're just wasting your time and it's lazy it's lazy activism and i hate it sorry yeah i got very passionate just then oh no that's good passion is a good thing there's not enough of it around i think we need passion within our lives and within our politics and within what we do but it's the policing of what they think a woman should look like. Because yeah, they're like basically they... saying that because I, I present tomboy femme because I like got long hair, makeup. I tend to wear. I feel you. Mostly when I'm working is like a leather jacket or so if I'm casual, it's a leather jacket and jeans and stuff. That's how it never goes um, out. <laughs> yeah. A pair of boots and a shirt or T-shirt, whatever is standard. Obviously, when I'm working, I tend to wear a suit, but. You know, that, so I'm dressing pretty much exactly the same way as my lover is dressing, only I'm not getting asked, but my partner who presents Butch is. That's, that's another one of my problems. Like this, this whole, they don't ugh, just, they are literally policing what a woman should look like or what they think a woman should yeah. be. And they're just like, and, it's like a double negative in what they're doing. And they it's call themselves dumb. feminists. I'm going to say, how many years? I'm going to say, I'm going back a little when the early times when I first became a feminist, it was all about a woman looks the way a woman wants to look. A woman does what a woman wants to do. 
it's not about someone telling her how she should look, what she should do, where she should go. It was all about a woman's freedom to make choices, not about restricting those women's freedoms. I know many feminists who are exactly like that. Like, that's it's about freedom. It's about equal rights. It's about all of that other kind of crap. And then it's like the people who put on that name as if it's going to make what they're doing any better. Hmm. Yeah. No, it's feminism was all about is all about the freedom of choice it's about women having the choice that they wish to make and that being a valid choice if they want to stay at home if they want to have children if they want to look after their home as long as it's their choice to do that that's their choice and if a woman wants to go and be a car mechanic she wants to drive a race car she wants to fly a fighter she wants to do whatever she wants to do that's her valid choice too and if she wishes to have an abortion or if she doesn't, that has to be her choice. It's not about telling a woman what to do. It's about giving her the information to make her own choices about what she wants. Ugh, exactly, exactly, exactly. You got me and on letting, my hobby horse and letting, and letting men do what they want too. As long as it's not hurting anybody, fucking let yep. them do it. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Anyway. No, absolutely. Anyway. Meanwhile, pulling ourselves back to the um, to the main part, I guess. I suppose. Because so, <laughs> we both got our hobby horses and we just love riding them off into the sunset. Gosh. I just, I have a lot of feelings <laughs> about those people. And I unfortunately go through the city enough that I see them and I'm just like, do something productive with your life. Yeah. No, I, 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 I do a lot of volunteer work with domestic abuse, so you can always use more volunteers. Exactly. There's so many places that would love to have people help that good old-fashioned Christian love to it. Yeah. <sighs> well, that's what those people need. They need love and understanding. They don't need someone's judgment. They don't. They need to put their energy somewhere else. Anyway, so... Yeah. You kept talking about how you got into working with the police force and you work with the police force now. When yeah, did you that... come across doing that? Gosh, I suppose part of it was some of the work that I did around switchboards in other places and the study and the, the, the fear that our community had for the police at that time. Yeah. It was always about... Um, age of consent and what was called at the time pretty policemen pretty what that policeman? was is Sorry, yeah what that was was yeah i know it's a funny term uh it's not a funny thing it's a funny term but what would happen is a lot of gay men would do what was called cottaging uh which was they would use toilets for sex Ugh. so it was like public toilets they would yeah i know but this was how a lot of men would meet each other because some of them were married or they were too frightened to go into other places or it excited them. I'm, you know, it depended on which. Right. So I, 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 I make no judgment call on what they did. It's where they went. And so they would go there and it was consensual. So they would go to these places for that. And the police would send in what they called pretty policemen. So it was a young, attractive looking police officer would be dressed in casual sort of semi-gay type clothing. He's a trap. You know, jeans. Yeah, 
basically is what it was. So he would go in there and he would like hang around looking as if he was going to be interested, but not say anything. So it couldn't be called entrapment. He was just being there. He didn't ask them for sex. He didn't put forward that he was gay. He was just there standing around. But when a man approached him and mentioned sex or whatever, he would then arrest him. Oh my God. And it was called, they were called pretty policemen. And they lost a lot of very good people through doing that kind of thing until it came that it's, as far as the military is concerned in this country, they're very proud of the LGBT members of the community. And in the history month, we've got the Ministry of Defence and the Army, the Navy and the Air Force all putting out tweets and information saying, hey, you know, we're fully inclusive and here's people that are out within the forces, you know, come and join. Oh, so there's like ambassadors uh, from the different forces that are members of the LGBT community that go out and say basically what's happening within the forces. So it's uh, not like it was. There was a there was complete fear within the forces at one time of being seen as out or being identified as LGBT. Mm -hmm. I mean, so, you know, uh, when I was living with Jack, I was with him for three years. Uh, he was a naval officer. So if they'd like gone deep inquiries into it, which they might have done after we split, because then he got promoted to a level where they might have done deeper inquiries, mm. then they they might have got rid of him. And he was a fantastic naval officer. And he went on to do some really good stuff. But they might have lost him had they gone into that, had they decided that, you know, they didn't see me as the person I was, but as something else they could have then lost that that person. I was really good at what he did. Yeah, it was very good. But that's how gender was looked at. There wasn't any differences. There was no legal crossover. There was just one or the other. It was dumb. Yeah. I've voiced this before many times. It's dumb. Yeah, it, I I really came across it. I suppose partly what I then started to do some work in the criminal justice system, because when I was doing one of my further degrees, I I got raped. So um, it was it was quite there. There is no good or bad rape, but um, it was. I spent some time in hospital because I was hurt internally as well as externally. But at that time the hospitals and that they had no idea how to treat someone who'd been especially uh, a trans woman that had been vaginally raped they had no idea what to do uh, what to do about you and how to help so and I was lucky that one of the nurses in the emergency room um, had been involved in some of the surgery stuff around transition and so I then got transferred to somewhere that could actually bring a surgeon in to do some do some remedial work so but at that time my rape wasn't considered rape the fuck yeah no it, it, it wasn't until I think it was 1994 that they said that what? a man could be raped it wasn't until 1994 that they said that a man could be raped and because but although what they saw there was this woman that had been beaten and raped legally i wasn't a woman who'd been beaten and raped 
So therefore, I didn't exist. And what had happened to me didn't happen except as a, a violent assault. And I had a choice of, did I go through and report this to the police as a, an official report? Uh, or did I not do it? Did I just say, no, I'm not willing to go through that? Perhaps have my name in the papers, perhaps some kind of salacious thing done about it. So I decided not to. I decided not to go ahead and make that report. I mean, to say I had to, for years, I had tremendous guilt over not doing that. Because you feel you, you, there's just tremendous guilt around rape and, and if you decide not to report, because it leaves you with tremendous feelings of, well, what if he then went out and did it to someone else and I could have stopped it by reporting? But what I've learned to, and talked about with other people since was I did exactly the right thing for me. And my own survival at that time was by not. Because, you know, what could have happened to me within the courts and everything else could have been disastrous for me. And it was the only logical thing I could do. But the guilt stays with you. I'm so sorry that's happened to you. I'm not the only woman that's been raped. It's It happens more than a lot of people think the reporting of it is low the prosecution is lower and the convictions are even lower still so it's not surprising that a lot of women just don't report they just try to get on with their lives try to make changes to what they do it it happens it's it's it just happens to a lot of women but at that time as well they didn't do hiv tests if you'd been raped Oh my God. No. And this was at the time of, well, the time when AIDS was around that they didn't do them. So I was never offered that. And I confided on, on night shift with one of the other volunteers at Switchboard what had happened. And he said, you really need to go and get an HIV test. And he kicked up a fuss with this organization and got me tested. So, you know, it was only him. I, uh, the strange thing is I was working in London around HIV and AIDS with HIV and AIDS organisations as well. But at that time, it, women were not considered to be high risk, um, especially if you were a lesbian, you were considered to have pretty much no risk. We all know that that's rubbish, but then that's what people thought. And that's what the advice medically was, that lesbians were really low risk. Uh, if you want an intravenous drug user, that you were very low risk, and so they wouldn't they wouldn't do a test. But he kicked up a fuss, and I got the test, and I heard about the result through a phone call. They phoned me up, and I said, you know, said who I was, and that sort of thing. And they just said, all right, uh, this is, you know, the clinic. You're fine. You're you're not okay. Thanks very much. Bye, and put the phone down. Yeah, that was good. So, and I didn't have any counselling about what could happen. What if the result had been positive? Would they have done that on the phone? Oh. Yeah. So these were times that were pretty bad. So that's partly of when I 
started doing work in the criminal justice system. It was partly down to that. Not completely, because it was an interest of mine as well, but it was partly down to that, that I decided that changes need to be needed to happen. And sometimes it's easier to do them from the inside as it is from the out. Yeah. And I bet you've, I bet you've done a lot of work in there. Well, it's always difficult to, to judge what you've done yourself. Other people say things, but you yourself never, never really put that forward. You just do the best you can in the situations you're in and move on. But I was in that and it was great and I loved that. And then I suppose because of the amount of time I was working, I then ended up in an abusive relationship myself. I'm sorry, I don't know how to ask any questions about that. Well, it was, it's kind of, people don't really understand that same-sex domestic abuse exists. They think it's like, it's always some bloke I hitting some woman. That. Yeah, but and a, a woman can be just as abusive to another woman as she can be to a guy. It doesn't happen so often. Well, percentage-wise, uh, as against, you know, heterosexual women are, are the largest number of victims, but there is also female victims from a woman partner. The percentages are, as a percentage, are about the same, if not slightly larger, but obviously the numbers are very much different because of the numbers of same-sex relationships are less. But it can also happen that men can be the victim of a, of a wife or a gay man can be a victim of their their partner. It happens within all relationships. It's just not any relationship can be can go that way. And my abuser just, you know, did everything they could to keep me in line. And they also then attempted to de-transition de me, which didn't really go very far. Because as soon as I got out of there, I then went back to being who I am. But these things happen. I mean, I'm glad I'm glad to hear that you were able to move on. That you still have, you know, you're still doing great yeah. work inside the community. That you're still trying to fight for others. That you're still. Um, uh, yeah, but there's a lot of us out there doing the same things. There's there's. The work that I do in the domestic abuse, uh, so many women that work in domestic abuse have also survivors themselves. So a lot of the women that I work with, I, you know, it's not like, oh, you're the survivor. It's like the unusual one is, oh, you're not. That's actually really good to hear. Yeah, because there's really so many women have experienced it themselves, which is one reason why they go into doing stuff around it, because it sure isn't for the money. <laughs> yeah, humans are awful. Yeah, they can be pretty bad. But as I say, I was incredibly lucky. I managed to get out and I managed to get a refuge place. So I was lucky. That's, you know, I've been quite lucky. A lot of the things that have happened in my life have been luck. And then you started helping those places. Well, yeah, you, you, you. It's wrong to say that everybody that comes out of it wants to help because that's not true because a lot of people come out, they just want to put it behind them. They want to live their lives. They might have children. They might have um, family elsewhere that might 
need them as well and they've got to go off and live their lives not everybody has is like me that is sort of like um single as in i don't have responsibilities and i can then dedicate time when i'm not doing my criminal justice work to doing that but that's because i'm in that fortunate position to be able to do it if i had children or other responsibilities then i wouldn't be able to do it right so you know it's, it's people put other people on levels that i think are a force you know you do what you can you don't you know you can't then say that people that don't do it are doing any less right absolutely it's different for everybody everybody yeah. can't be the same no absolutely not i don't know how to transition this into becoming a lighter subject because i don't want to seem disrespectful to what you just told us oh well that's easy because uh, <laughs> it's i'm having a great time i'm uh, glad but, you're but having a great time it's good i'm i'm in a good place i'm so glad you're in a good place yeah and i'm happy and you sound, yeah you sound like an amazing person and you just keep you just keep giving and it's just I, it's more than but <laughs> i get back from that giving you know because the, the altruism's fantastic but to be a good volunteer you need to get something out of it as well and the volunteering work that I do for refugees and for domestic abuse, I get back within the experience that I can then share with other people and say, you know, this is what's going on in these things. And I gain the experience of um, working on in that in that field that I can then take into other fields. Um, I get immense satisfaction about being able to help someone. So I'm getting a lot out of it too. It's not, oh, me, give, give, give. Uh, I'm not like Lady Bountiful. I'm getting stuff back. Lady Bountiful. <laughs> it's a British expression. Your wife will know that one. I, I think she probably will. But I mean, it, it makes sense. It's just, it's funny yeah. to hear it. It's, it's, like these, uh, uh, it's like upper middle class white women that inflict themselves on the poor. Oh, my gosh. You know, that they, they go there to do good work but they're not doing good work because they want those people to be happy or to be oh lifted, but they're doing it because it makes them feel better. Oh my gosh. That's what, that's where like Lady Bountiful came from. She's giving, but she's only giving what she wants to give and what she won't miss rather than giving more than perhaps she oh wants to. So that's kind of where that's it came from. That, 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 that took a dark turn really fast. <laughs> That was surprising. Okay. Um, oh, goodness. The time has flown by. Um, okay. So. You're I really have... good, you know, because it has <laughs> flown by. I just noticed. And yeah, it's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Talking to you is really fun. I mean, that's, that's, the, that's the joy of the podcast sometimes. Is sometimes yeah. you talk to people for a really long time and you really enjoy the conversation. I feel like, I feel like I've learned a lot. Like a lot, a lot. Like you know, sometimes you sit around and you think, "Yeah, you're you're a pretty well-rounded person. You're not quote unquote woke, but you know, you're kind of you got the veil of things." And then you talk to someone, and you're like, "I know nothing. <laughs> I know nothing about anything." And it's, I've just it's lived actually... a long time. <laughs> <laughs> but still, it's it's good to hear that it it puts a lot in perspective, and it's very important for people to hear just things to for people to hear about how things have been 
because we get in our head what we think it looked like or more what we thought happened or what we thought you know the world works and then we learn that no that's that's not how it is and it just I, it's just I like to disillusion myself I guess is the big yeah. part I'm coming out there I I love disillusioning myself just as much as I hate it ah but all history is is colored by the person that is speaking that yes. history so you're getting my history whereas someone else's history of the same time and the same period could be completely different so you've got to try and balance the histories and then take out of it what or distill what is the actual history gosh and there was so much more i wanted to talk about with you but let's I don't want to take up any more of your time. I know it's late over there for you. It's only 8.30. That's not late at all. Oh, gosh, it's late for me. Maybe I'm the old lady here. Um, <laughs> well, no, I'm normally I'm really just having something, to, I'm normally, I'm having, something to, you know, having something to eat and going out to a club. So. Oh, my gosh. You're more lively than I am. It's just like it gets to be like 9 o'clock around here. I'm like, whoa, time to get into bed. <laughs> God, <laughs> I'm just me. like done. Oh, I'm dead. I mean to say, you know, going out to a club, having a good dance, uh, depending. Uh, my lover likes like country and western, which is like kind of not my thing. Yeah, well, yeah, that's kind of how I look at it. But I go because they go to my heavy metal stuff. Oh, my gosh. We could have talked heavy metal stuff. Oh, Man. yeah. Hellstorm. Oh, yes. Yeah. Oh, my God. Pretty reckless. It. Pretty reckless. Oh my God! Yes, my wife loves Pretty Reckless. Like every time she go to a concert, is when it's with Taylor Mopsin. Holy yep. shit! This is, this is, this is exactly. This is a merit. This is wonderful. This is. Oh no! People are like really people. shocked because they like see me as this like upright, like dressed for, in a suit for work and other stuff, and because I like, I like bright colors, but I'm not, I'm not like mad over it. I still wear jeans like a You're just old not brown leather jacket, think of. but yeah. they don't see me as like being heavy metal oh but, my I just, God. but i don't like the screaming stuff where you can oh only it's like some guttural noise like that i just don't do that yeah. at all oh, so you don't like ginger then no i like stuff that you can actually hear what they've got to sing and sometimes, <laughs> the, and sometimes the stuff has like real meaning you know i well, like some uh, of the group assault stuff is good pretty reckless hailstorm all those mainly with women fronts yes. because I like the sound. Anyway, back on topic. Um, (laughs) I have a couple of things left to ask you. Yeah, Uh, go for it. I have a segment of the show called the guest to guest question, where, Uh of course, my guest from the old episode will ask my guest from the new episode uh, a question. Okay. I think I'm a bit slow on these podcasts because I think you already know the question if you already listened to the latest episode. No, I I got to catch up. It will come fresh. Um, Her question was, did you, well, actually, I think I already know the answer, and that's, either way, did you have anyone in your family who was LGBT? No. (laughs) Not that I know of. And then the extension to that question was, um, did you know anyone who knew, did you know anyone who had any LGBT in their family? Like anyone else that might have had them? Yes, when I was at Switchboard and that, there was loads of people that had, like, brothers or sisters or cousins or uncles or aunts that were LGBT. But, you know, they would talk about them. So there was loads of people did. I I, I just always, I always found it strange that I didn't. But I didn't know. That's not necessarily that there isn't. 
It's just that I didn't know. Same. I don't really have anybody either. No one who will claim it. So it's just it's just me. But tell us where we can find you. Uh, I'm on. Uh, I don't see what is it. I'm on Twitter under my name. So mm-hmm. it's Diana James under Twitter. You can find me. Uh, you could. It's easy to see my one. Because it's um, my little thing is like it's got uh, the women's symbol with the fist, but the nails are painted. Thought that was clever. And yeah, I did that. I'm playing around with one of these paint programs, and underneath uh, it's got um, what's it? Fierce kick-ass femme. But as your as your thing's coming out when it is, I'm also doing a interview for the BBC. I mean, that's huge. Which, yeah, it's kind of. You, you obviously you know what the BBC is because you've been to yes. the UK, yeah. So I'm doing one for them. It always depends on those things as to whether they get broadcast or not. But I know it'll go on their website. But you know, if there's a big news day, something really big happens, then these stories get shunted away because although they're interesting, they're not considered big news. Because I'm going to be talking about the history of switchboard, so I'm going to be interviewed for that and. So so I'm doing that. And oh, yes, I'm sitting on a panel uh, on the 8th of um, March, which is um, a panel about switchboard again. So I'm doing a lot of switchboard stuff at the moment. But it's just because I'm part of the history, I suppose. I was the one stupid enough to stand up instead of keeping sat down. Oh, my gosh. What? (laughs) I volunteered for switchboards as the first trans person to do it so i was foolish enough to do it so there i've got to stand up and admit it oh you're so funny (laughs) okay well thank you thank you thank you so much for coming on it's been a blast talking to you like it's been a real pleasure you're so easy to talk to it's really nice well that's kind of what you do so i guess you need to be but it's i think it's a learned um, process because I, I I don't I don't think I could listen to my first episodes and think the same thing about myself <laughs> well you know you could uh, it's kind of different from like walking into a bar and then sort of like walking up to a woman saying hi I do podcasts do you want to be interviewed my god I could not imagine doing that in <laughs> as I said thank you thank you so Pleasure. much for coming on and Gosh, I I don't know how to say goodbye, apparently. I have to go. Yep. Have a good night. And you. Bye. (laughs) That they they would used to do that too, but the problem was Can I help you? Oh sweetie. Can I help you, Titty? So this is one of my only male cats we have. Um, <laughs> just the luck of the draw. And his name is Titty, which we thought was endlessly hilarious. <laughs> now I have regrets. I mean, his, real name's, his real name is Titus, to be fair. And we just nickname everything. So it turned to uh, Titty. So Titus Andronicus. I don't know. <laughs> just, just, we call him Titty. And he's loud. I apologize. <laughs> I didn't know he was here. <laughs> yeah.
he was making himself known as they do. 